Sometimes studying the Bible can feel overwhelming and confusing. Grounded in Truth with Janet Dennison will help you learn to study, understand, and apply God's Word to your daily life. His Word is true. And guess what? It's for everyone. So thanks for joining us today as we dive into Scripture together. Welcome to Lesson 16 out of Romans 9.30 through 10.21. We're looking again today at what I call Paul's parentheses in the book of Romans. There are three chapters in the middle of Romans that are some of the most difficult scripture, and that is chapters 9, 10, and 11. And so we're going to finish 9 today and move into chapter 10. As I do this, let me say that uh, I usually teach with a little more certainty than I'll be teaching with for the next three weeks. These passages are not always as clear as some of the others in Scripture. And uh, as I'll say when we get to chapter 11, if you pick up four commentaries, you'll get four different interpretations of some of that uh, Scripture. So let me say that I am going to dwell on and focus on what I can know and what I believe I do know, but I will address those things that are difficult to understand. You really cannot function as a student of the Bible if you aren't able to accept some of the tension that a, a student of the Bible needs to have. There are some things we just don't know for certain, and we're going to look at some of those in the next few weeks. So with that in mind, there is one other thing I want you to remember. Never forget that this was a letter. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 aren't a bunch of thoughts broken up. They are all one message. It's the message of Paul to the church to address probably the most important issue he saw in every church in the first century. In the Roman church, those who had been formerly Jewish were often a little bit superior acting. They thought they were superior to their Gentile brothers. Most of them had come to a place where they had accepted the Gentiles as Christians, and that was more huge than I can even say. But that sense of superiority remained. Why is that? It was because they knew more. They didn't even intentionally mean to act superior, and yet they did. The reason they felt superior is because they had vast years of experience, many of them, with the knowledge of God, with the history that got of human history with God. They knew what the prophets had said about Jesus, and they knew what behaviors God found acceptable. 
The problem was, is many of them hadn't moved into a completely convinced new covenant relationship with God. And therefore, they looked at their Gentile brothers and sisters and thought they shouldn't be doing that. The Gentiles looked at the Jewish people and thought they don't understand the new covenant. And so that tension existed literally in every one of the Christian churches in the first century. So sometimes that air of superiority uh, became ingrained. The Jewish person felt himself chosen, and that came through even in the New Covenant Jews. So that same attitude can be a stumbling block today. It would be a mistake to think that these passages we look at today were only about this issue in first century Christianity. These issues exist today. I We pastored for years and years. And if you grew up in church, you really can't fathom how difficult it is for somebody who has never really been in church to walk in the doors, to not know how to find those verses in the Bible, to not really know what Pentecost is. Some of the things that we just take as basic knowledge were for the Gentiles or for the new people coming in our church, brand new ideas, brand new thoughts. We as Christians, especially those of us that have been in church for a long time, can be a stumbling block to others today for the same reason the Jewish people were stumbling blocks in the first century at times. It's not that we feel superior necessarily or even realize we do, but we can act that way at times in an effort to teach we do so with an effort of, here's what I know that you need to know. There's understanding and there's grace for both sides of this issue. Nevertheless, Paul takes a parenthesis in the middle of the book of Romans to say, people of God, we've got to get this right. And so let's look at these passages today with that in mind. There are still Christians. In fact, I think every Christian still pursues some of our blessings by works. Uh, some of the popular sermons that most cause me to squirm are those that say things like, if you give a certain amount, God has said he's going to bless you this much more. In other words, give me $10 and God will sometime give you back 70. That's not the truth of that passage. It is the idea that we can't give more than God. We can't give that God doesn't return the blessings. And so just by nature, if you think about it, what in life is not achieved by works? We teach our kids to function by works from the time they're three years old and up. It's ingrained in our psyche. It's ingrained in our way of thinking that those who get up in the morning and go to work should be able to deserve a paycheck, wages. Paul's already addressed that. 
We just define God's blessings differently than God does. And the point is always this. God's blessings are his choice, his grace gift, his favor. We don't earn God's blessings. They are his gift to us. And do our works cause God to bless? Very often they do. But to make them a contractual obligation is to step out of the truth of Scripture. So with that in mind, let's talk about Romans 9, verses 30 to 32. When is a Jewish person or any person saved? Paul puts it this way. He says, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, and people still continue to stumble today. Why is that? Look back at that verse. Paul describes this pursuit of righteousness like a race. When he uses the word pursue, he's describing a competition, a race. The Gentiles didn't pursue righteousness in all of the rest of history. And yet, they have obtained it because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, but the people of Israel who for centuries had pursued, chased after righteousness because in the law, they'd not attained it. And Paul once again states the one truth you have to hang on to. He said, it's because they pursued it. They pursued the law as if it were by works. They worked at it. They didn't receive it as God's provision for their righteousness, for their forgiveness. They didn't pursue it as a gift of grace. They pursued it as something they could earn by doing certain things. That's what he means that they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Jesus is often described as a stumbling stone. When Jesus arrived, God's planned, perfect provision for the sin of all mankind, the Jews were so used to achieving their sense of righteousness on their own by what they did, they stumbled over the gift of grace. They had so wanted the Messiah to make them great as a nation, they stumbled over the one who was Messiah, who wanted to make them great in God's eyes. And that's why people still stumble today. We still try to work our way to God. We still try to see ourselves as good enough. Paul goes on to say in Romans 9 verse 33, As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him 
will never be put to shame. Paul is quoting from Isaiah here. When Paul quotes from Isaiah, he is quoting from the words that are considered the most important words or among the most important words in all of the prophets. Isaiah was considered, he and Elijah, the highest of the prophets. So Paul quotes to Isaiah to prove to the Jewish people in the church that even Isaiah knew they were going to stumble over the new covenant relationship. When Paul talks about Zion, Zion has two meanings in scripture. It can mean Jerusalem, where the temple was, and the Holy of Holies existed, where in there was the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat of God, the very presence of the Holy God. And so Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem, the mount, was often referred to as Zion. Also in scripture, Zion is referred to as heaven. And so you, in this particular case, I would probably interpret Zion as this earthly stone, this earthly place in Jerusalem. He laid in Jerusalem, in Zion, a stone that causes people to stumble. The new covenant was born into Jerusalem, into the temple. When the veil was torn, the new covenant was in existence. And Jesus became a stumbling stone to so many of the Jewish people. But Paul says he causes people to stumble. He is the rock that makes them fall. Because when you come to the truth of Jesus, you either receive it or you fall. And Paul says the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. That truth is going to be very important, especially as we get into chapter 11. So remember some of these important points Paul is making. That's one to remember. Paul goes on to talk about his desire for his Jewish brothers and sisters. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Romans 10, 1 through 4, I think defines and puts a frame around everything else that Paul is about to say in chapters 10 and 11. So let's look at that frame carefully again. He's talking to his brothers and sisters. He says, my heart's desire and prayer 
is to God for the Israelites, his brothers, that he wants them to be saved. His desire is that they may be saved. He says he can testify that they're zealous for God. He knows they're, they're, they know God and that they want to know him and want to serve him. The problem is they're trying to serve him not based on the righteousness God has put in place, but on a plan of their own. They've not accepted Jesus as their Messiah. The Messiah, their final prophet, John the Baptist, revealed to them. They wanted their own version of a Messiah. They had their own plan to be righteous, and they didn't submit to God's plan for that. And so, very clearly in this passage, Paul says, and this is such a crucial truth. Paul says Christ is the culmination of the law. Other places in scripture we hear uh, the New Testament described, the New Covenant described as the fulfillment of the law. So that there can be righteousness for who? For everyone. Nope. For everyone who believes. Keep Romans 10, 1 through 4, as the framework for everything else to come. So Paul has talked about Isaiah, the high and holy prophet. Now he takes it back even further to talk about Moses. He said, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. He said, the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? Paul says, the word is near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. That is a difficult passage. Let me try to explain. He goes back to say that Moses writes about righteousness that is attained by living by the law, and the person who does these things will live by them. But who ever was able to fully keep every word in the law of Moses? Remember, Paul's already taught everyone has sinned throughout time. Everyone falls short of God's glory. Everyone needs God's grace. He says, you can't say you can go up to heaven in order to get to Christ or even go down and cause Christ to come up from the dead. You can't do this on your own. Only God could do those things. What you can say is this, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And that is the message concerning the faith we proclaim. Paul couldn't point to that holy of holies in the temple and say, God is there. Paul instead could point to the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit 
and say, Jesus is in your mouth. He's in your heart. And that's the message we proclaim. That's the message of faith that we teach. And then he says two of the most important verses in this parentheses we're studying. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. These can be confusing unless you take the message that Paul is saying. It's the message he's said since the beginning of his letter. If you believe in your heart, the heart to a first century Christian was the center of life, the center of every motivation, the center of life itself. If you believe at the core of your being, the essence of who you are, your heart, that Jesus is your Lord, and if you believe God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It really is that clear. And then you profess with your mouth. You profess your faith. Our witness isn't what we do. It's not a work. It's simply the overflow of who Jesus is in our lives. And so that's why at baptism, we say, what is your confession of faith? And the person responds, Jesus is my Lord. That it's not the act of saying it that causes you to be saved. It's the truth behind your words. And remember, God knows your heart. He knows you believe. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. We know that now in this century, back in that century for a Jewish person and a Gentile person, revolutionary. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Bring that to us today. There is no difference between Arab and American. There is no difference between one race and another. There is no difference. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me stress the word call and define that as Paul used it. He means calling out as a drowning person would call to someone on the shore who has the life preserver. When you call on the name of the Lord, on his character, his person, his presence, you will be saved. But you got to know you're drowning and you got to know who can save you. Paul quotes Isaiah and Joel when he says these words, linking God's word from the old covenant with the new. God is everyone's sovereign creator equally, even before they place their faith in him. How then can 
They call on the one they have not believed in. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Again, Paul quotes from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Do you know how amazing it is to be a human being who shares the word of God? Do you ever want to believe yourself to be someone that God finds amazingly beautiful? God loves it when you share his son with other people. Those who bring the word of God are beloved by God. Make that a goal today. And we don't just speak words about God. We live his character in our lives. That's our best sermon, our best witness. It's the life we live. But not all Israelites accepted the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, big point, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. The gospel message is the message that saves. But notice that all throughout history, not all Israelites accepted the good news. Isaiah's quote was about the prophets that brought the good news of God to the people of Israel. And Paul says, not all Israelites accepted the good news. Consequently, faith comes from not just hearing the message, but believing it. And now it's from hearing and believing the message of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out, their voice being the voice of the prophets, the people who brought the good news of God. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And Paul says, again, I ask, did Israel not understand? Then he gives proof. First, Moses says, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. Understand it's been about 25 years since Pentecost. News of Christianity has spread throughout the known world by this point in time. The Jewish nation had heard over and over again what it was that their Jewish brothers now believed was the new covenant of God. They knew it. Did they not understand it? Moses had already said why. He'd said they're going to be envious of what God does. Moses said that. And Isaiah said, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Paul quotes Isaiah again, pointing out what has always been true, and it's remained true about many of the Jewish people, many of 
Paul's Jewish brothers of that day. God's providence and his patience with them had gone unnoticed and unappreciated. God's prophets had gone unbelieved and unacknowledged. So what would Paul say to our culture today? For the first time in human history, the verse that says, for once everyone has heard, Jesus will return. Through the internet and the advent of satellites and cell phones, literally there are almost no people groups in the world left that cannot know and gain access to the Word of God. So what would Paul say to all of us today? It is still true that even though people have access to God's Word, there's no guarantee that they will believe it. But here's what you can know today, and I close with this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It says it in Romans. It said it in Isaiah. It's always been true. If you want to please God today, live out the faith and the knowledge of the gospel that you own. Help others. Bring the good news to others because we live in a world that has access to truth and they need to know why they should believe it. Keep that in mind this week and I'll see you for another tough lesson next week. Hi everyone. Thanks for listening to the Grounded in Truth podcast. If you would like to receive our studies in your inbox each week, you can subscribe at foundationswithjanet.org. We would love to help you study God's Word. Each week, Janet talks about how to apply Scripture to your daily lives so that you can live a life that God is able to bless. We know you'll be encouraged as you build your life on the solid foundation of God's Word. Again, to subscribe, just go to foundationswithjanet.org. We'll see you there.